Welcome to FMH InsureCast, a podcast created by Farmers Mutual Hale, designed to deliver expertise and insights from trusted FMH team members and industry experts. Each new episode will dive into new products, industry updates, and innovative solutions. Let's get to today's topic. Hello, and welcome back to the FMH InsureCast. On today's episode, we are talking prevent plant. There are several areas across the nation where questions are popping up about prevent plant. We'll cover some frequently asked questions and give you some tips to avoid trouble in case there is a claim. On today's show, we have two guests. We have Ken Ripley, who has joined the show before, and we also have George Rafe. Ken, uh, reintroduce yourself for everybody first. Ken Ripley, I'm the regional sales manager for the Northwest region of Farmers Mutual. I'm glad to be back on with you again, Ryan. And George, welcome to the FMH InsureCast. First time on here. Yes, it is. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. And George, remind us what you do for Farmers Mutual Hale. I am a claims analyst in our home office. Um, I handle part of Southern Illinois, as well as the East Coast, all the way from Alabama and Florida up to New York and Pennsylvania. Wow. And of course, I am Ryan Bennis, and uh, I'm a strategic account manager, and you're most of the time host here on the FMH InsureCast. So let's start off by just talking a little bit about planting progress. And Ken, since you're our resident farmer, why don't you just go ahead and give us a little bit of an update on your region and how you see most of the Midwest shaping up right now? Yeah, so it's been really hit and miss across the Northwest region. We have parts of it where they were able to go strong here uh, over the last couple of weeks. But I've got a lot of areas where they've maybe just getting to turn the wheel here, maybe today, or haven't turned a wheel. And I'm hearing about 10 days out before they even think they're going to get a chance to get in. So Midwest-wise, it looks like we're seeing some maybe better weather coming in here in the next uh, few days and next week that's going to help maybe turn these things around. So today's discussion becomes a mute point, which is what we all hope (laughs) is the case. Right. And just as a, as a bigger view, it's, it's one of those very interesting years uh, where we have a kind of a sharp contrast between the far western side of the Corn Belt and, and the eastern uh, two-thirds of the Corn Belt, I would say, in which the eastern two-thirds is worried about way too much rain and the, and the western one-third is worried that they don't have enough. And as we'll get into, both of those could result in prevent plant situations. but. George, I'm going to start with you. Let's, let's just talk about planting. Uh, hopefully we can plant, right? But yeah. even at this point, we're at the beginning of May. It may be that we don't get to plant when we want to. So where, talk to me about what day by which we have to plant and what happens if we don't get planted by that day. Just expand on that for me. Well, it varies across the country. Um, the special provisions of insurance actually call out all of the dates for the earliest date that you can plant and still have insurance coverage, as well as the final plant date, which would be the last day to get a crop planted and still get the full guarantee of insurance for that particular crop. But most crops across the country also have what is known as a late plant period, which can vary anywhere from 20 to 25 or 30 days, depending on the crop and depending on the area where you can still plant a crop and you can still have insurance coverage, but each day you get into that late plant period, you actually lose 1% of your, of your guarantee. So for instance, if you had a, uh, you know, if you, if you got planted on the very last day 
of the late plant period and it was a 25 day late plant period, you'd lose 25% of your guarantee, but you would still have that crop in the ground and you would still have insurance in case there was a catastrophic event that left you with no production whatsoever. Right. Right. Okay. And so just as an example here in Iowa, correct me if I'm wrong, but the final plant date, which is the first date we're concerned about, say for corn across the whole state, I believe is May 31st. Is that yes, right? That is correct. And I think Nebraska, Nebraska is also the same for, for corn. Sure. And if I am planting, say after that date, just to your point, maybe I'm planting on June the 5th. If I'm planting corn on June the 5th in Iowa, I'm going to lose 5% of my guarantee, but otherwise I have insurance as normal. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And uh, I say Iowa, Iowa is one of those unique places where we have a final plant date that hits everybody the same for our two main crops, which is corn and soybeans. But in many other states, there's a more of a, a tiered approach where you have multiple dates that actually exist in one state. So beware of the dates that apply to you for each crop that you plan on planting. And it can also be different from practice, or I believe practice types will probably all be the same, but types and varieties could also potentially okay. have different final plant dates. And again, it could be different from state to state, even within a state, it might be different from county to county. So that's where you need to go on and check those special provisions of insurance for those dates. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Let's, let's keep moving here. What is prevent plant? So let's say we, we get into those date, those final plant dates, past those final plant dates, because before that we can't declare prevent plant. But once we get past that final plant date and into the late plant period, we have the potential to declare prevent plant. So what type of a payment can that result in? And how would you calculate a payment, uh, just a generic payment, say for like corn in Iowa, George? Well. The first thing, there's a couple other things we, we should probably discuss before we get into calculating a payment. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, what is prevent plant? And that is a provision actually provided for in the basic provisions of the common crop insurance policy. It's actually under paragraph 17. And it allows coverage anytime that there is a insurable cause of loss that causes a producer to not be able to plant a crop. Things such as excess moisture, precipitation, or rain cold, wet weather, or even failure of the irrigation water supply. And any time that that is general to an area and would prevent producers in the area from planting acreage with similar characteristics, you could have a case for a prevent plant claim. And it differs from your typical revenue or yield protection. And the base coverage level for prevent plant is considerably less than what you might have for a normal RP or YP plan. So for corn, your basic coverage level is 55% of your guarantee. Soybeans, 60%. Wheat is also 60%. You can actually buy up an additional 5% coverage on most crops. So you could potentially have 60% coverage on corn, 65% on soybeans. Now, when it comes to actually calculating your prevent, let's say you have to declare prevent plant, what your payment would look like is there's a formula that you can go through, and that's going to be your APH or your approved yield multiplied by your MPCI coverage level, multiplied by your prevent plant coverage level, which will be determined by the crop that you're declaring PP on, times the projected price, and then finally multiplied by the share. So as an example, if we're looking at corn, if we have, just as an example, an APH of 150, or our approved yields 150, we have a 75% multi-parallel coverage level, 
So then we would multiply our 150 APH by our 75%, take that, multiply it by 55%, assuming we have just the base MPCI or prevent plant coverage level. We don't have the buy-up. Then we would multiply that by our projected price, in this case, $5.90 per bushel, multiplied by our share. So if we work through that calculation, our prevent plant payment would come out to $365 an acre. And you can work this this formula for any crop you have, just substituting again your, your MPCI coverage level, what the prevent plant coverage level you have is, and then the projected price. Awesome. Awesome. And I appreciate you walking through that, George, because I think it's important for people to understand how we're coming up with those numbers. But the good news is we do actually have a very easy way for agents and insureds to see what those numbers would be. We have a report that we can run that would give the grower the, an idea of what that payment would be. Uh, but I want to hear from you, Ken, um, just stepping back from the math a little bit, but thinking about this. And I think for most of the Midwest, that three to $600 an acre uh, in, in terms of a prevent plant payment is going to hit pretty much everybody. But I'm curious from your perspective, Ken, when you're thinking about prevent plant and the financial implications of it, how does it hit a farmer? I know not everybody's going to be the same, but what do you think of when you think of prevent plant financially as a farmer? The answer to that question definitely is going to vary from year to year. And currently here in 2022, with as high as our commodity prices are and the spring price that we had, it's probably with the input costs we have, it may be literally just a covering any input costs you have down if you've already applied, let's say, your fertilizer in the fall things like that. So it is not, or cover the rent, I should say too. But in many cases, this is truly more of a, a break even, you know, get you from year to year. The good news is for 2022 with these prices, you know, for me personally on the farm, I want to get every acre in. I mean, the opportunity to sell $7 corn out of the field doesn't happen very often. So I think the attitude towards getting planted is definitely highly uh, motivated this year than it maybe has in past years where the opportunity for, you know, above and beyond profit is not always there. Right. Right. No, that's good. That's good. I mean, I think that's important is that for the most part, prevent plan isn't going to make anybody rich out there. Um, Sometimes I feel like there's a notion and for certain farmers in different circumstances, maybe that's the case, but for the most part, it's just a a way to get to the next year um, when the circumstances turn against us during planting. So remind us, George, when can we actually declare prevent plant? When does that become an option for us? And what kind of circumstances have to lead to that? Well, the insureds need to report a notice of loss to an AIP within 72 hours of the final plant date if they don't intend to or are going to be unable to plant a crop by that time or during any applicable late plant period. There would have to have been or currently be an insurable cause of loss that is preventing them from planting. We don't require a producer to try and plant during the late plant period in order to file a PP claim. So basically, it's the, the final plant date is kind of sort of the earliest date to, to file a PP claim and kind of is to refer to what Ken said earlier. If you get into the late plant period, you're still going to have a much higher guarantee. I mean, if even if a 25-day late plant period and you're at the end of that, you're still going to have a much higher guarantee than if you declare PP 
and just take the 55% on corn or the 60% on soybeans. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that's great. So you kind of mentioned some of this earlier. And I think when we think about prevent plant, we think about too much rain, but there are other ways in which a prevent plant uh, claim can come about. And you mentioned uh, drought. And I also heard you mention uh, failure, failure of irrigation water supply. And I had another one right, right down here because of I think of a recent event that happened in Nebraska this year, which is there's a failure of irrigation equipment in this case where there was a wind event that knocked over several pivots right here, right before planting that um, might make it impossible for folks to plant. So that's four different ways. And maybe I'm even missing some. I think you mentioned maybe cold, wet weather is just kind of a generalized another peril that would be included here. Are we missing anything? Or, I mean, I just wanted to kind of rope everything in that everything, one of all of those things could qualify as prevent plant. Yes. All of those could, could qualify as prevent plant. And there aren't, there aren't necessarily any specific causes of loss that are called out as you have to have had this cause of loss in order to qualify for prevent plant, but there are some that make more sense than others. We're not necessarily going to consider a large hailstorm that came in during the planting period that caused that made it so that you couldn't plant a crop. But things like excess moisture, obviously if your field is flooded out, you're not going to be able to plant. When we get to our irrigated crops, you know, failure or breakdown of the irrigation facilities or uh, failure of the irrigation water supply. Um, if there's a persistent drought in an area and a producer's water allocation is reduced, that could potentially qualify as well. Mm -hmm. And that's seemingly to me something that is happening quite commonly right now in 2022, where we have out West significant drought that's now spanned multiple years, but it's resulted in lots of reservoirs and all of the other supplies of water, snowpack, et cetera, being much lower. And therefore, these water districts basically curtailing how much water that farmers are able to put on. And if, say, for instance, water district says we only have 70 percent of the water that you would normally plant, then that producer could potentially qualify for prevent plant on 30 percent of their acres. Anything to add to that? Because I think that's a big deal out out west. It is going to be a big deal out west this year, uh, possibly most likely more so than it has been in previous years. And, and of course, we're talking about irrigated crops here, but drought can also be an insurable cause of loss and reason for prevent plant with non-irrigated crops as well. There are some criteria that an insured would need to meet and prove in order to qualify for drought as the cause of prevent plant. Right. Yeah. One of the, I was just going to add in one of the things, especially up in my region here, where a lot of times we've been dry early on, and then uh, farmers are thinking, well, we can't get it, get the crop in because it's been too dry. Never fails, but the last week of the uh, <laughs> of the planting period, here comes the rain, and now they're struggling to get it in because it gets too wet. So drought on non-irrigated ground, I would I would highly encourage farmers if it uh, if they can to still try to put stuff in unless it's been it just isn't feasible at all because. It only takes one event to knock you out of a prevent plant claim with uh, with the drought on a non-irrigated ground. And we've seen it in South Dakota a couple of times in my tenure here with insurance. Right. Awesome. Uh, George, what other criteria? You mentioned that we have to have a, an insurable cause of loss. I think we've covered that. 
I think you even mentioned that we have to have a timely submitted loss. Um, it's within 72 hours. Uh, I guess the last time you can report a loss is within 72 hours of the end of the late plant period, if, there, if one exists. Talk to me about other criteria that have to be met for a prevent plant claim. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, the acreage has to be insurable. Now, that means that in one of the last three years, the crop has been planted and harvested or it was insured. Even acreage that was insured that was prevented from being planted. The cause of loss has to be common to the area. So if you are the only producer in a two or three county area that has prevent plant, it's we might have to look a little bit closer, but if we can find documentation to show that, yes, there really was excess moisture or this soil variety does not drain well or things like that, then we, we can document that and we can use that to prove the case. Then also any ground that is, that is uh, prevented from being planted needs to meet the one in four rule, which I will, I will talk about here in just a little bit. And it also needs to meet what we refer to as the 2020 rule, which also applies to replants as well. And the 2020 rule is any ground that is prevented from being planted needs to be the lesser of 20 acres or 20% of the unit. And unit structure can play a part in meeting the 2020 rule. If you have enterprise units, you might be able to add up prevented acreage across several units within that overall enterprise unit to meet that 2020 rule. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's let's back up to that one and four rule. I know we've heard I know we've heard a lot about that, and that one and four rule has become a bigger deal given the fact that what once was isolated to what we called the the prairie pothole region has now been expanded to all parts of the country. Uh, what is the one and four rule? Why is it so important? In order for an acreage to be considered eligible for prevent plant. The acreage must have been planted, harvested, and insured in at least one of the four most recent crop years. Um, if it was not harvested, it needs to have been adjusted for claim purposes due to an insured cause of loss, with the exceptions of flood, excess moisture, drought, or any other specific cause of loss that might have been called out in the special provisions. Now, where this really kind of comes into play is if we cannot prove the one in four rule. So it wasn't planted, harvested, or insured in any one of the four most recent crop years, that acreage now becomes unavailable to plant, which means that it does, it does no longer qualify for prevent plant. And it's actually going to become uninsured. Now it will not become eligible for prevent plant until that acreage has been planted, harvested, and insured for two consecutive crop years. Um, and Brian, like you said, this used to just just qualify for the prairie pothole states. So Iowa, Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, and Wyoming. But in 2021, this became a nationwide requirement for prevent plant. This is kind of where really good maps and good records can come in handy in proving that maybe one corner of a field had been prevented prior, but you were able to prove that portion. And maybe you had another portion of the same field that was prevented in another year. If you've had good records and good documentation, you can prove that those areas were actually planted and would in, you know, help increase your eligibility for a prevent plant payment. Gotcha. So can I get that one in four rule planted, harvested, and insured? Maybe give us some of the uh, 
gotcha situations where that's not quite as obvious. Of, okay, I planted, harvested, insured it, but what are some things we could overlook that might get caught by that one and four rule? Yeah. Well, so, a couple of things to keep in mind is if that land, especially if you've, say, you've bought or you're renting some ground for the first time, if that previous owner or tenant did not put insurance on that, they maybe have planted and harvested all years, but didn't have insurance on it. That ground is not going to be eligible if this year you don't have the ability to get it planted. So that has come back and and bit us. You know, I live in the Prairie Pothole region, so this has been a pain in my side for the last number of years. So I guess I'm happy to share the wealth with the rest of the nation. But <laughs> it's uh, if there's anything that'll catch you, that's really one of them. Uh, good news is we've made some changes here recently with alfalfa. Uh, forage as far as having um, regrowth counts as planted because uh, first part of the this first came out we had some issues with that whether that counted or not if you're taking out forage ground but uh, those are the main ones that I can think of, unless I'm missing something George that we we need to be adding I guess um, yeah, CRP ground how would that be treated Ken oh yep yeah so CRP ground does uh, not qualify it it would uh, be eligible for insurance, but it would not qualify for prevent plant on um, the year coming out of the program. Ken, you made a, a good point there about um, insurance following the ground. You know, if a producer acquires a new piece of land and the, the prior producer didn't, didn't meet some of the requirements for one and four, we had a claim come out of Nebraska just last year where a producer had acquired a piece of ground in 2019 and had been prevented in 2019 and 2020, and they're prevented again in 2021. The previous tenant of this ground was not terribly pleased when our producer acquired that ground and was not willing to provide us with any records to show that the ground had been planted, harvested, insured, you know, in, in the two crop years we were looking at. He had made a statement that it was insured, but had also made the statement that he was not going to share those records. So unfortunately, since we were not able to provide any proof that it met the one in four rule, we actually had to deny that claim. Always fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So just, just that's one to be highly, highly aware of as we, as we get to planting here. From, from the grower's perspective, though, let's say we hopefully get to start planting some acres, um, or maybe we don't. But how do I know what acres qualify for what? So it, just as a, as a random example here, if I'm a, a thousand acre farmer in Iowa and I pretty much am a corn and soybean rotation, if I all of a sudden can't plant a single acre, can I declare a thousand acres of corn as my prevent plant crop? Or how does that work, George? Well, that's kind of a little bit of a tricky situation. Um, if you have the records to back up that you have planted a thousand acres of corn in a crop year before or in any one of the four most recent crop years, then you would be able to claim that. If your crop rotation was a thousand acres of corn one year, thousand acres of soybean the next, back and forth, yes, you could claim those thousand acres of corn. Of, of corn. If your rotation was, say, 650 acres of corn, 350 acres of soybeans next year, 650 acres of soybeans, 350 acres of corn. No, you could not because eligibility for prevent plant is actually derived from the maximum number of acres 
of an insured crop that you have planted in any one of the four most recent crop years. So we're actually going to take that number of acres. So for instance, um, if you had 650 acres of corn was your highest number that you planted of corn in in the four most recent crop years, we're going to take that 650 acres and we're going to subtract out any planted acres. So in this example, there were no planted acres. So you would have the full 650 acres eligible for prevent plant, but let's say you'd planted hundred acres. So we would have had 650 acres eligibility, subtract out that hundred acres that you were able to plant. So then you could be paid 550 acres of prevent plant corn. And when you exhaust that eligibility, so let's say you use up all 650 acres of corn that you have in your eligibility, but you still have 350 acres that you couldn't claim as corn, but your intention was to plant them as corn. If you can provide some proof of your intent, such as uh, receipts for inputs, your crop rotation, your farming operation records that show that you would have planted all of that to corn, that could prove that that was, again, your intent to plant all thousand acres to corn, but you don't have enough eligibility. So what you, your claim would look like is you were paid 650 acres of PP corn and you were paid 350 acres of PP soybeans. So yes, you're not going to get paid as corn, but you're still going to get some payment out of that using the eligibility from the history that you have developed on your policy. Yeah. So there, there's a lot to take in there, but for the most part, George, the insured, when they have a prevent plant situation, they're going to get paid on their highest liability crops first, granted that we can show that they intended to plant those crops. Correct. correct. Yep. Okay. Perfect. One thing to add in here too, yep. Ryan, a recent change, and this is a, a very nice change, in the, I believe it was 2021, uh, we allowed or RMA made a change to the rules where let's say you had planned to plant corn, say we're all the way to, let's just say the 15th of June. So well past the final plant date for corn in, in Iowa. Um, but the conditions do shape up and we can get some crop in. Let's say it's an 80 and you can plant 40 acres of soybeans in there. The nice thing now is if you have proof that you are planning to plant corn, you could actually still get those unplanted acres paid as corn and the planted crop does not knock out the right. uh, what you had planned to plant or the prevented right. crop. So that's a nice change where in the past, I know we had producers that would not plant entire fields because they didn't want to lose their corn prevent plant eligibility by putting some soybeans in on a few acres. Now, essentially get what you can get in with these commodity prices, You know, take advantage of the grain prices and what you can't get planted, you would still have that uh, prevent plant eligibility. As long as it still meets, a, correct me if I'm wrong, George, I think it still has to meet the 2020 rule of that field. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. There is, in addition to a 2020 unit rule, we also have a 2020 field rule where it would have to be the lesser of, meet the lesser of 20 acres or 20% of the total acres across the field. Good. Oh, very good. And if you're still listening out there, thanks for hanging with us because prevent plant is a big hairy beast and there is a lot of rules here. So just, just keep tuning in because we got a couple other things we're going to hit here and then we'll get wrapped up. So next question I have here, I already mentioned a little bit about seeing what the payment looked like. And on that same report that we have for, for agents and farmers out there, 
there is a way you can also see your eligibility. So we talked about that one in four rule. We have a way of running a report to show you your eligibility, your base eligibility for the one in four rule. But this question always comes up as I have prevent plant ground. What if I am adding ground? Uh, George, go ahead. What, what happens if I add ground? Does anything change for my eligibility? Uh, yes, you could potentially actually increase your eligibility if you pick up ground. And we would use what we call an added land factor to increase the number of, of el- maximum eligible acres. Now, these acres must, these acres that you add had to have been purchased in time to plant. They were, had to have been available for planting, which means free of any rocky outcroppings, trees, things like that. It has to meet the policy provisions for prevent plant eligibility, and there could not have been any cause of loss present that could have prevented them from being planted at the time that the ground was acquired. Now, this added land factor is it's a ratio developed that is the current year's insurable cropland acres divided by the previous year's insurable cropland acres. So for instance, if we have 900 acres in our operation in 2021, we pick up 300 more acres for 2022. So we've now got 1,200 acres in our operation. If we divide 1,200 by 900, we end up with a 1.333 added land factor. So we're actually going to take that added land factor, multiply it by our maximum number of eligible acres to actually get our eligibility for the current crop year. Now, again, we're going to take that number that we get from our added land factor, and we're actually going to subtract out any of the planted acres to determine what our actual prevent plant eligibility is. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. So let's fast forward here. Let's say worst case scenario, we are not able to plant. We do have a qualifying prevent plant uh, situation and we're in the midst of getting a claim payment on that. But the final plant date has passed. The late plant period uh, is here. What can we do with that ground now that we have declared prevent plant on it? Well, there's actually uh, a couple of a couple of options. So you could not do anything with it. Just leave it fallow and you will get your prevent plant payment and you will get 100% of that prevent plant payment. Now, you could potentially plant a second second crop. You know, you could plant and insure a second crop on that same insured acreage. So if you're prevented from planting corn, you could potentially plant soybeans on that same acreage. Now, there's a couple of things to remember with that though is if you plant Prior to the final plant date for corn, the prevent plant coverage is reduced to 35%. But you may also receive 100% of any indemnity on that second crop, again, providing that you did not plant the second crop prior to the final plant date. Now, the second crop does not have to suffer a loss before the first insured crop is reduced to 35%. And again, when we, we referencing what we talked about earlier, the insurance goes with the ground. So if you are prevented from planting the first insured crop and say your landlord then rents it to someone else, if that person plants a crop, your payment will still be reduced to 35% just because there was a second crop planted on that acreage. And then of course we have options for cover crops, which not only is it a a good agricultural practice, but um, there can also be some benefits for prevent plant. But if a cover crop is planted prior to the final plant date or during the late plant period of the prevented crop, there's not going to be any prevent plant coverage available if at any point by any person that cover crop or volunteer crop is harvested for grain or seed. 
but at any time with no penalty, that cover crop, volunteer crop may be hayed, grazed, cut for silage, haylage, or baleage. If the cover crop is planted after the final plant date or any applicable late plant period, the prevent plant payment could be reduced to 35% if that crop is harvested for grain or seed. But again, there is no penalty if it's hazed, grade, cut for silage, haylage, or baleage. Gotcha, gotcha. Now I will say one thing that I learned early on in my in my tenure, I was in Minnesota, close enough to North Dakota, where we have prevent plant all the time, is that growers there found out early on that when they have a prevent plant situation, planting a second crop is fairly detrimental. Seems like a good idea up front, right? You can collect a small portion of your prevent plant payment, and then you can turn around and still have a second crop. The problem is, is that when we just have a prevent plant situation, um, if that's all we do, and we don't plant a second crop, nothing happens with our database. We, we mark down that those uh, prevent plant acres were there, but there's no penalty for our APH. If we do plant a second crop, yes, we get a small prevent payment, but on that initial crop, say it's corn, what do we put in the database? A zero. I put a zero in that APH database, which really, really uh, hurts the guarantees for that farmer going forward. And long and short of it is the benefits, the single year benefits of having a small prevent plant payment followed by what would probably be even a late second crop. Do not trump that zero that goes in the database. Ken, I see you smirking and, and shaking yeah. along. What, anything to add there? Yeah, I think I have a number of agents call that the 11th commandment. Do not oh. <laughs> do your first crop, second crop PP. That usually does not work in anybody's favor. Sure, sure. I believe um, you actually get a uh, a plug yield that's equivalent to 60% of the approved yield for the first crop now. Okay. And maybe I've got that wrong. Or did I have that wrong, Ken? Yeah, I, I can't know. remember if it's plug or zero, but either way, it's usually not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not an excellent yield. But again, I think it is... Um, if you, Maybe if it you, just felt like a zero. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sure it does. But if, if, you, if you plant and insure a second crop, your first crop, your prevented first insured crop actually gets a 60% yield. Sure. Yeah, because yeah, sure. your, your YA would kick in for sure. Yep. If it okay. Yep. And for folks, no for folks at home, I mean, I feel like you should hear this because frankly, this is complicated stuff. So <laughs> I'm glad that you can hear us kind of uh, stumbling around these rules here a little bit because they are not easy, but we do, we do have plenty of experience with prevent plant. And so that is one that we come across that, that has become kind of a don't do it if you don't have to type of situation. Well, and they, they're constantly making changes to the program. I know in just the last year, we, we took out the requirement to prove split field history, which Ken had referred to earlier, as well as um, in, it used to be the standard rule up until 2020, where you had to wait until November 1st or later before you could cut a cover crop for, for haying or grazing or for silage. But they've since in 2020, they moved that date forward to, I think it was September 30th or September 1st. And then as of 2021, they took out the date requirement entirely. Okay. Um, Ken, I'm going to throw this to you because I know on more than I think more than one occasion you've had to deal with prevent plant or at least the threat of prevent plant for sure. 
Do you have any general tips that you could give farmers out there that might be experiencing this for the first time? The number one tip I would have for sure is to be in in, uh, contact with your agent. Make sure you know what your eligibility is. And then also never forget about the 2020 rule. If there's anything that ever comes back is make sure if you're not planting some stuff and you definitely are feeling you should be deserving of a prevent plant payment, understand how many acres you have left because there's nothing more disappointing uh, from the insurance side is when a customer realizes they have 12 acres and they needed to have 20 to have any any type of a prevent plant payment done. So if you're just on the very end, let's hope we have none this year. But that is the one thing that I highly encourage is to understand your eligibility, but then also understand you know, how many acres you've got. So if you're on an enterprise unit, which is very popular in the United States now, um, that's 20 acres across all your acres within that county. So a uh, couple of things that that we've come across over the last two times I've had to deal with, you know, small acres of prevent plant. They haven't had the the major losses like some some states have. Awesome. Well, I guess my my only tip here would be to to really just sit down and do the math real quick, especially as we get into that late plant period. You know, it's still early May here. We're recording this on the 6th of May. And obviously lots of prevent plant questions have cropped up. And in certain parts of the country, it is certainly getting quite late. But here in Iowa, say for instance, um, I don't think we're really in danger of prevent plant at the moment. But you know, as we get into the late plant period, if you've still not had a chance to plant, but you see maybe there's a potential window out there ahead of you, do the math. And right now, I would say today that math is still going to tell you to plant just simply because we have such high commodity prices and somewhat significantly higher than what we even established as our spring price. So there's lots of reasons to hang on and and try to plant late versus declaring prevent plant early. I think in most situations, even that we've dealt with in past years, those who have decided to plant have come out better generally than those who have de- declared prevent plant early. And, and for the record, some people might say, well, well, yeah, of course, you're the AIP. You don't want people to declare prevent plant. And no, we don't like prevent plant. But the flip side of that is if you do plant and are you planting into absolutely terrible conditions, we're actually on the hook for a bigger guarantee than if you would have just taken that prevent plant payment. So it doesn't always work out better for us when you take that prevent plant, uh, when you decide to plant anyways. So that would be my, my final thoughts is just to do the math, sit down and make sure you understand what you're giving up uh, before you declare prevent plant. George, any other final thoughts from you before we sign off here? No, I don't have anything other than just say, thanks for having me. It was an enjoyable experience. Awesome. Ken? Yeah, same here. Let's all cross our fingers that the weather uh, shapes up for most of the country and then we can get the crop in because it's, as I know, as a farmer, it's a lot more fun delivering grain than collecting an insurance check. So that's my final thoughts. (laughs) Sounds good. Thank you so much, George, for joining us and Ken once again. And for those listening out there, please don't forget to subscribe to the FMH InsureCast and you will hear from us again soon. Thank you. You've been listening to FMH InsureCast. We appreciate you joining us today and would like to hear from you. If you have questions about today's topic or an idea to share for an upcoming podcast, 
you can contact us at fmhpodcast at fmh.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for information purposes only. See policy provisions, terms, and conditions for details. Products underwritten by Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance Company of Iowa and its affiliates, West Des Moines, Iowa. Farmers Mutual Hail is an equal opportunity provider.